personally speaking, like my routine is, as I mentioned earlier, is I stand in front of a, a full body, you know, juve device on the, the vibe plate for, you know, seven or eight minutes on, on the front side of my body, turn around, do the same thing on the back side of my body. And at the same time, I'm, you know, doing, doing breath work and listening to a podcast. So the more, in my opinion, the more therapies you can kind of stack, uh, you know, in that, in that routine is, is, uh, you know, you'll get more bang for your buck. performance. You're listening to Bulletproof Radio with Dave Asprey. Uh, today's cool fact of the day actually has nothing to do with what we're going to talk about today, but it's cool, so I'm sharing it with you. We are at a point where we're learning new cool things about stuff that we just took for granted. Prime example here that you probably would never think of is that we have new high-speed videos that show that the plume of carbon dioxide that comes out from a popped bottle of champagne contains something called a mock disc, which is a kind of visible shockwave that you've probably seen in supersonic exhaust streams from jets and rockets, that sort of cool circle that happens. We just never knew that was there, but it was there the entire time. And it turns out in champagne stored at room temperature, that CO2 in the neck is seven times as pressurized as ambient air. And so when you uncork the bottle, the gas rushes out at twice the speed of sound and you get the same thing that a supersonic jet does. Within about a millisecond, the pressure inside the bottle's throat is closer to the surrounding air and that shockwave goes away. And of course, this research did have to come from France because, hey, that's where champagne is from. But what does that mean for everything else we're doing? Do you have any idea what the bubbles of CO2 gas inside your cells do? You probably don't because actually we haven't figured much of that out yet. So when you deal with some arrogant person who says that can't work because it doesn't, we're at a point in the evolution of humans where we're learning more about the stuff around us all the time than we ever even imagined 20 or 100 years ago. What if there was a way to level up your energy, get rid of stress, and take more control of your body? Welcome to Quantum Upgrade. This is a new technology that taps into quantum energy to help you feel amazing. Quantum Upgrade has a lot of different products that help protect you from EMF and help activate your body's natural healing abilities. You can expect better sleep, more resilience, less stress, and better blood flow. The cool thing about Quantum Upgrade is that the products are backed by a lot of heavy-duty scientific studies, and there's a new measurable upgrade. You can now use Quantum Upgrade to increase your consciousness levels between 1,400 and 2,200 on the Hawkins map of consciousness. If you don't know what that means, do some research because it's impressive, it's fun to learn about, and it's something that I've come to understand. Ready to try Quantum Upgrade? Visit quantumupgrade.io slash Dave for a seven-day free trial. Everyone's talking about red light therapy beds, and for good reason. There's a company called ARRC LED that's building an entirely new class of LED devices. ARRC LED beds integrate proprietary scanning technology and frequency protocols to shape the delivery of six different wavelengths in dose-optimized photobiomodulation. Yes, that's a lot of words, what it is, though, is that photobiomodulation improves the underlying energetics of the cells in your body. And those changes can benefit nearly every tissue and organ and system in your body. You change your cells and you change your life. For more information, visit ARRCLED.com. 
today's interview is going to be a lot of fun, and we're going to talk about something that I do discuss in detail in my new book, Superhuman. In fact, we have this amazing subtitle called The Bulletproof Plan to Age Backward and Maybe Even Live Forever. Uh, the new book is out in the world, and for 20 years, I've been working on this anti-aging thing, talking about how I think we're going to live a lot longer than you think we're going to live right now. And this book says, here's what you can do that doesn't cost anything. Here's what you can do that's pretty cheap. And here's what you can do that's pretty darn expensive now, but will be cheap coming up. So check out daveasprey.com and you can get Superhuman there or anywhere books are sold online. And if you have Superhuman and you like the show, I would really appreciate it if you took about two seconds to leave a review on Amazon because it really matters for me as a as an author. Tell me how I'm doing. If you like the book, if it's useful, that's cool. And if it's not useful, you should leave a review as well. But seriously, this book is awesome. Now, what did I write about in the book that has to do with champagne? Oh, nothing, that's right. It turns out I did write a substantial amount around aging and light and what it does for you. And not just circadian rhythm, but how you can actually use light therapeutically. So this is an in-person podcast recorded at the Beverly Hilton in Beverly Hills uh, with my friend Scott Nelson, who is the founder of Juve, which is one of the world's uh, trusted manufacturers of red light therapy devices. If you're a longtime listener to the show, you remember when I interviewed Scott and Justin on episode 516. And there we talked about kind of how Juve got started, but there's some amazing new research that you are totally going to love uh, that Juve has pioneered around what light does for different, different systems in the body that we just didn't know about. So speaking of all sorts of cool new things, welcome to the show, Scott. Dave, thanks for having me back. It's been maybe just a little bit over a year. So excited for uh, another conversation around light. It, it's amazing. We use Juve at Upgrade Labs, uh, which is here at the Beverly Hilton. And I've seen how you guys are evolving the company. But what I really wanted to do was just dig in on the cool new things that, that aren't in the world out there. I, I think I did a reasonable job of saying, look, this light therapy stuff matters for biohacking. I've talked about on our last show how I used this intense infrared light on my brain almost 20 years ago after the first study came out. And now it's becoming a real deal. And you guys are actually looking at placebo control, double blind trial sort of things now. Tell me about bones and light. And this isn't a vitamin D conversation. <laughs> yeah. So there's there's really some some compelling uh, research in, in certain categories, bone health uh, being being one of maybe three or four that we'll talk about, you know, throughout the the course of this discussion, which I think most people are going to going to find uh, really interesting. But with respect to bone, there's probably been bone health in general. There's probably been, um, gosh, three to four really solid uh, research papers that have been uh, published over the past, gosh, two to three years. Um, that showcase some some really unique things when it comes to helping people recover from bone-related fractures, injuries, ex et cetera. And I think there's probably a couple things that really stand out when you look at that research. One one is a study that 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 comes to mind, which um, examined, I believe, about 40 or 50 participants that uh, had suffered from uh, some type of facial fracture, facial injury. 
Um, and it was a placebo-controlled study, so meaning you know half the participants received a sham treatment, so a fake treatment in essence. If you're not familiar with how studies it, are, are if structured, if I had a broken face and someone gave me a fake treatment, I would break their face. <laughs> you might, you might, <laughs> but you really believe that that sham treatment was gonna was gonna work, right? But uh, but I think that's that's just important to to, to call out that this was a really well structured okay. study, and the researchers actually used 3D imaging, um, so it wasn't just kind of you know qualitative. Uh, type of uh, uh, type of feedback or, or conclusions that were were based on qualitative feedback. It was it was the the real deal, and um, after just a week of receiving near infrared light therapy, the uh, participants that um, that received the non the non sham treatment, so the real treatment, uh, showed significantly less uh, swelling in the, in their face, and I think that that calls out kind of the first thing with respect to bone health is that. It's pretty clear that the research is showing these wavelengths of light, red and near infrared light therapy, uh, enhance immune function to reduce things like swelling, inflammation, et cetera. So that's certainly uh, an aspect when it comes to you know recovering from bone related injuries. But if they're using three D imaging, they're not looking at bones. That's more cosmetic, right? Uh, I mean, th- th- there's a certain amount of you know cosmetic or aesthetic aspect to it. But I think okay. that the cool thing about it is they they were using pretty high end imaging. To, to quantify the results when it, when it comes to using near-infrared light therapy. How much faster were they healing with light versus the sham treatments? Uh, after just one week. Okay. Yeah. But were they 50% better, 100% better? Uh, you know, do, do you have like a good sense? In other words, if my recovery was going to be eight weeks, yep. if I use light, is it likely to be four weeks, six weeks? Uh, that Those results are, I don't think they, they, the researchers like parse those out, um, but the, they were definitely statistically significantly re- re- reduced versus the sham treatment. Um, I've definitely noticed that anytime you have an injury, whether it's, you know, a bruise or... Um, just a scratch or something. Mm-hmm. The light therapy really does seem to make it heal ridiculously fast. Right. So, um, all right. And on uh, on bone health specifically, usually people say, oh, I need sunlight so I can get vitamin D, which is going to help me have strong bones. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe I'll take some vitamin K2 along with that, et cetera, et cetera. But how is it that red and in this case, I think it was, uh, actually was this red light or near infrared light or both in the study? It was near infrared. It was near infrared. Mm -hmm. So what is near infrared actually doing in the cells in the body? Do we understand? And I, I think we're beginning to learn a lot more about the mechanisms of action, some of which are fairly well understood, but... And I think we'll probably get into this a little bit more when you talk about some of the other uh, sort of emerging uh, benefit areas when it comes to light therapy. But uh, with near-infrared light, some of these bone-related studies are showing that this type of light can penetrate actually much deeper than initially expected to stimulate, you know, those osteoblasts or osteocytes, which are the cells that are in, you know, the the matrix of our bones, helping to, to reform it, to heal, heal those bones, et cetera. So I think that's really a cool aspect of, of light therapy that these not only are we seeing near infrared light specifically being able to penetrate much deeper than previously thought but like the systemic benefits of exposure to this type of light on a consistent basis is showcasing some some pretty interesting results um which is uh is 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 pretty cool you wouldn't necessarily you know uh intuitively think that this type of therapy could help reform bone but the the data is pretty clear that it does there's Tons of studies out there that talk about collagen formation, and I'm 
Bulletproof's a company that made collagen cool. It was not something that I think most of us used, uh, at least other than injecting in our lips maybe, but as a, as a food and performance supplement. So I've been reading about collagen for almost 20 years, and we know that red light stimulates collagen production, but what a lot of people don't know is that the matrix of bone itself is made out of collagen. Mm-hmm. So do you think that when people are using these high-intensity red and infrared lights, like the ones you're using in Juve, uh, are they are they potentially affecting collagen in the bone as the mechanism of action, or is it just some something else, or do we just not know? Uh, no, I, I think you're, it, it absolutely is. There's no there's no doubt. Um, in fact, those fibroblasts are being stimulated and um, are able to produce more ATP energy, which allows for you know the the increased production of of collagen. So, and then a lot of people think of collagen for skin health, right? Which is great for reducing fine lines, wrinkles, sort of the aesthetic benefits that that come from you know collagen in your skin. But a lot of people forget that, like as you mentioned, Dave, collagen is everywhere in our bodies, yeah. right? Tendons, ligaments, bone, etc. And by stimulating those those cells that produce collagen. Um, uh, by way of you know red and near infrared light, you can reap some some uh, a wide range of benefits from that. The whole fascia in the body is made out of collagen, and some of the more advanced healers that I've worked with, both physicians and otherwise, are starting to look at fascia as a way of uh, of carrying information. It's, it's essentially an information carrier, and it even carries electrons differently in the body. Uh, so it's this distributed system, and if you have poorly formed fascia, you're not growing it correctly or you're not nourishing it correctly, it probably has systemic effects beyond what we think today. Um, that's why things like rolfing and all, like why does this deep tissue manipulation seem to do stuff for people? There's probably a reason that we've been doing that sort of stuff for oh, a thousand years or something uh, in different different traditions. So I'm gonna stick with uh, stimulating collagen using red and near-infrared light and eating collagen and getting a massage I think that's probably <laughs> a good recipe for success. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, in in these studies and in your experience, um, you know, your background is from Medtronic, and you know, you've you've gone deep on the research. How much how much time do people need to spend with light therapy to get benefits? It it really depends on 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 what you're trying to treat. You know, I think most listeners that are um, that uh, that tune into your show on a regular basis are you know are biohackers or you know, uh, enthusiasts around around kind of overall health optimization. In that scenario, it's really kind of hard to overdo, you know, light light therapy. And so it kind of depends on what you're using it for. But like with a, a full body system like like our devices, with kind of the power that's delivered from those, generally speaking, we recommend about eight to ten minutes, you know, at a you know, roughly six inches away from from the device. But um, to that point, that's one of the things that we're learning a little bit more about with specific treatments like like cognitive function, as an example. That, yeah, if you're if you're using uh, red and near infrared light for just enhanced overall cognitive function when it comes to like um, uh, memory retention or faster reaction times, dosing may not be as important. But when it comes to healing from you know maybe chronic injuries like a TBI or um, chronic diseases like Parkinson's or Alzheimer's, etc dosing does matter. And I think that's one of the interesting things. In fact, uh, Dr. Praveen Arani, who's the um, current president of Walt, which is one of the more well-known kind of societies within kind of the world of of photomedicine, just sent me a paper recently that suggested this very thing, that when it comes to uh, patients that, uh, dementia, patients that suffered from dementia and using near-infrared light to to try to help with some of those symptoms, 
do- dosing was very apparent. Uh, do- proper dosing was very apparent in some of the the re- results that 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 they saw. This is light on the head specifically. You got it. Yep. Um, I will just double down on that, and this is why I know light therapy is is powerful. That about twenty years ago, when I had that crazy internet device <laughs> um, that that used an eight hundred and eighty nanometer light on the brain, I put it just for two minutes over the language processing center of, of the brain above the left ear. And I spoke in garbled words for a couple hours. It actually scared the crap out of me. And that's maybe I overdosed, right? So how do you, when, when someone's using, using Juve, how, how do you know that they're not overdosing? When it comes to like specific health conditions like that, we, we generally... Uh, point people in the direction of their their healthcare provider, uh, and then when it comes to using light therapy, ideally they're they're um, having discussions with someone that's in the world of photomedicine that can speak to it, you know, at a uh, at a much deeper level, understanding kind of the full ramification of their their health background. And and to be really clear, I was using a super high powered thing that was touching my skull in one little spot. And the same thing doesn't happen if you're following the six inches away or shining lights on your face. Uh, it doesn't happen at all like that. So I, I would be less concerned about it. I've, from talking with people using lasers and all that, they've said if you overdo it, that you you basically get benefits from more and more and more, and then it plateaus. And then if you just, say, strapped a juve to yourself and wore it all day long every day, that your cells would probably start to not get any benefits from it. I think that's the better way to think about like dosing when it comes to kind of general health optimization is that one, it's, it, it is hard to overdo, but eventually you will reach some sort of um, law of diminishing returns. Yeah. And I think that really speaks to the concept um, or the, really, really the, the mechanism of action uh, when it comes to um, red and, and near infrared light therapy is that these wavelengths of light are stimulating your mitochondria in your cells. And that stimulus is great, but a, a chronic stimulus um, probably isn't, just like anything else. It's like running a marathon every day. <laughs> you got it. Might you got not it. be good for you. Your cells need a break at some point. Yeah. Um, and that sounds kind of high level, but that's sort of the reality you know, well, of the situation. It, it's the same as true for ketosis. Mm-hmm. I, I've, I mean, like read the Bulletproof Diet. Like, it's good for you. Go out of it. Go in, go out. Mm-hmm. It's the cyclical nature of things. And so I, I don't think it's necessary to you know, walk around with you know, red lights shining on your skin all the time. But having that intense stimulation followed by healings, it, it's like lifting weights. You don't want to do that all the time either. Yeah, so, you got it. Okay. Now, we know from this new study that you talked about that healing of bones is faster. What about bone density in otherwise healthy people? Are, do people see increases in bone density if they didn't have a broken bone if they're regularly using red and near infrared? Uh, I can't point to any studies off the okay. top of my head, but but there there's there's likely there's like there's a high likelihood that you'll find published data that speaks to bone density. In fact, kind of interesting um, um, anecdotal story is that we're seeing you know osteostrong clinics, which I know you had um, one of the co-founders on your on your podcast mm-hmm. not not too long ago, and a lot of those clinics, which which are they have a unique kind of you know protocol and and modalities around you know um, preventing osteoporosis, basically flexing the bones. Yeah. Yeah, we, yeah, we've got a machine at Upgrade Labs does a similar a similar thing. Yeah, in fact, it's a machine designed by the same guy. Okay, um, and it's uh, so so they're seeing it from from stimulating bone morphogenic protein or mm-hmm. BMP. I haven't seen a study that says red lights do that. But I, I'm intrigued because anything that increases production of osteoblasts in the bone cells or osteocytes, which are basically the 
the cells that get embedded in the bone matrix is probably going to improve bone density, but I wouldn't go out there and say, oh, you're a postmenopausal woman and you're developing osteoporosis. All you need is light therapy. But given that you probably care about your skin anyway, is light therapy likely to be helpful? Probably, but you might want to take your vitamin D, vitamin K2 and get some sunshine. You, you got Do you it. agree with that? No, 100%. Okay. Like we're, we're never going to be, you'll never find us as a company like prom, uh, promoting the concept that all you need is light as an example. What you're, we will- you're not, you're not a breatharian? <laughs> no, far from it. But, uh, <laughs> but what we will say is that light is underappreciated as an, as an aspect of health, right? And most, mm-hmm. most people think of food, right? And supplements yeah. and some type of you know, training you know, regimen of, of some type. But a, the overwhelming majority of people don't think of, of light as part of that kind of overall health equation. And so it is-, Ju- it is Junk light matters yep. and, and high nutrient light matters. You got it. You got it. It all, it all matters from, you know, preserving sort of your circadian, your natural circadian biology to, you know, therapeutic, using it for therapeutic reasons to heal or to optimize, you know, hormone balances, et cetera. Well, let's talk about the hormones because you, one of the reasons I wanted to interview you today, uh, you've got some some new info about hormones in men and women um, using red and infrared light. And were they using actually the Juve devices in these studies? They they were. We actually okay. just we we just wrapped up a um, the second wave of participants in um, one of several studies that that are ongoing right now, um, are, um, centered around uh, the use of full body light therapy um, for for overall hormone health. And you'll see us continue to like do, you know, fund and sponsor more and more of these studies because our kind of our core thesis is that for overall, overall health optimization, full body light therapy is ideal. Um, but specific to this, uh, this study, it's, it's really interesting because we, we, we wanted to try to answer that, that question is, is full body light therapy good for hormone health uh, in both men and women? Because we have all these anecdotal reports, uh, more so from men that have, have, have done, you know, Pre uh, blood work, pre and post uh, some type of uh, light therapy uh, regimen, and notice some pretty dramatic results when it comes to testosterone production. But it's it's all kind of like you know sm- relatively small number of uh, of participants, small case uh, small case series, if you will. So we wanted to like showcase that in, in an actual study, and also involve women too, because it's a common question with with women is like if if men can increase their testosterone in a healthy way, can, mm-hmm. can women increase their proge- progesterone and keep their progesterone to, to estrogen ratio is healthy. And um, although the, the results are still early, by the time this, this episode um, airs, we'll have a, a really nice um, FAQ piece up on our site from Dr. Kelly Gibbis, who was the, the principal investigator in this particular study. Um, at, uh, she's the founder of Bristlecone Health in Minneapolis. And um, at, a, at a high level, um, the results were, were really staggering, especially when it comes to, to female hormone uh, production. Uh, what we saw was... Um, Really, two things that stood out when it comes to, to to females with the use of daily full body red and near infrared light therapy with our devices is that not only did they see um, really healthy progesterone increases, um, but they also saw um, balanced progesterone to estrogen ratios, which is really important because you don't want uh, estrogen dominance, which is really common as as females age. Oh yeah, it's uh, it, it's a major issue. And in fact, we had a whole podcast about progesterone. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was a guy who came on was saying pretty much progesterone cream fixes almost anything you know, <laughs> because of adrenaline dominance when people are more stressed. And you're finding in, in these studies with women, was there any particular age range or 
they were both premenopausal, um, perimenopausal, and postmenopausal. So okay. across the board, across the yeah. board. And how long each day or each week? How much exposure did you were they getting? They were they were using our our recommended treatment um, guidelines, which is um, with they were using what we call the Juve Solo, which is kind of our our entry level device into full body okay. light therapy, and they were just using that um, for ten minutes on a daily basis okay. on their on their front and their backside. So 10 minutes, so five minutes front, five minutes back? 10 minutes front, 10 minutes. Okay, so 20 minutes of total exposure per day. Yep. All right. And you found that in women that it changed the ratio of estrogen and progesterone. So it, was it decreasing estrogen or increasing progesterone? It was increasing both, but the, the what's interesting is the ratios stayed balanced. So okay. even though like the ideal goal would be, to your point, David, you just mentioned, would be to increase pro- progesterone, right? Health, healthy levels of progesterone, but you're normally going to see a rise in estrogen as well. But mm-hmm. the rise in estrogen was was a healthy ratio in in in, uh, in relation to the progesterone increases. So estrogen went up a little bit, progesterone went up much much more. You got it. Okay, interesting. Just from light exposure, that's new data. That's something that I have not heard of or seen before. And that yeah. was a study that you funded. That's cool. Yeah, and what we want to do more of that. And and what what's interesting is that when you kind of think about um the the mechanisms at play, right and that'd be cool to kind of resurface that, that interview that you did with that went deep on progesterone. But, you know, progesterone is kind of like the testosterone for guys. Like most guys think of, I want more, you know, tea when women and progesterone is kind of the the same thing. And what happens as, as women age is that the HPA access can be, you know, chronically stimulated, which leads to, you know, stress all the time. Your, Your body's sort of, it's a signal to your body that you should always be in flight mode. Um, and so that prevents DHEA production, leads to estrogen dominance, et cetera. Like there's whole downstream ramifications that happen. And by, st- you know, using or exposing your your body to consistent red and near infrared light therapy on a, on a daily basis, it's it's like at least the, the early the early results showcase that not only do you have healthy DHEA increases, which you know convert to progesterone increases, but also that HPA access is um, also regulated in a healthy way as well. So really interesting stuff. And okay. I think just hormone, hormone, uh, more ho- more hormone-related uh, studies, I think, are, are very interesting to, to us. And uh, we're excited to kind of do more of those. Okay. What is the benefit to raising DHEA with light versus just taking some DHEA in a capsule? It's a great question. I'd love to be able to point to like a, a study and maybe we'll do something like that at some point down the road. But I think anytime that you're, you can stimulate your body to, to naturally produce more of something, that's probably, generally speaking, a, 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 a better than supplementing alone, if, if at all possible. It, it seems to me that, that there's all these feedback loops inside the body, most of which we don't even understand. Uh, so if you take something externally, then the body may downregulate its own production. But if it upregulates its production so you get more, it probably won't downregulate it. But I would say we don't have a study for that yet. Yeah. Uh, just if you look at how life works and you were to make a bet, which of these is going to be a better choice? Probably getting your body to just do it naturally. It, it's kind of the same with vitamin D. Uh, and my opinion on that over the past you know, 25 years has shifted where it used to be uh, 20 years ago, everyone's deficient and pretty much everyone is deficient, but we didn't understand that if you can get vitamin D from a supplement and then go into the sunshine, <laughs> that the sunshine is activating the vitamin D. So there may even be a case. In fact, I would bet it's the case where if a woman is low in progesterone and is estrogen dominant, she might want to take progesterone and use light therapy. 
and then suddenly you see really profound shifts that wouldn't happen if you used either one alone. But we no one's tested it yet. But that's what I would do if I was hacking you know, my own perimenopause, which fortunately I don't think I'll have to deal with. <laughs> I, th- I think you, you touched on some really interesting points that, you know, um, at the end of the day, everyone w- wants to point to some, you know, really well-structured study. But um, that, that example that you brought up with respect to vitamin D, I think, is a perfect one, right? And that I, th- I think uh, the overarching sort of narrative to me is that it's probably just it's 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 healthy maybe to start with both but the important point is is uh is the need for like on, ongoing results right just like you you know everyone listens going is everyone listening to this that drives a car is going to understand the concept that they need an oil change right once twice three four times a year maybe depending on what you drive you sort of need to do the same thing when it comes to your body right you need those you know annual you know semi-annual you know checks in the form of you know uh saliva or blood-based testing I thought you were going to say in the form of massive stem cell injections. <laughs> I, won't, I, won't go, I won't go there, though. That might be a, that might be a thing you want to look at as well. Uh, I did. <laughs> now, uh, let's talk about guys, though. I, I, years ago, uh, I said, hey, here's a study that shows if you get sunlight or red light on your, technical term, balls, uh, <laughs> it raises testosterone. So there's a whole generation of uh, people in jail now for public indecency uh, for trying to get sun uh, where the sun doesn't shine. You also have found testosterone shifts in men from using, was, this was another Jew study when you funded using your gear. Yeah. Okay. Exactly. And what did you find in men and where did they have to put the light? Yeah. So in this, in this scenario, it was the same, it was the same study and we enrolled okay. just both men and, and, and women and the men followed the same exact protocol that I mentioned earlier. Uh, okay. Ten minutes on the on the front side of their, their body, uh, ten minutes on the back side using our, our Juve Solo device, and so not not necessarily shining shining the light directly on their nether regions, um, but just this systemic full kind of you know nearly full body exposure to these wavelengths of light. And and again, the early results showcased that um, that men experienced a st- statistically significant increase in in uh, in total both free and total uh, testosterone. Were these deficient men or men who had normal testosterone levels? So the the men were um, they weren't necessarily deficient per se. When you look at the the, uh, the pre study, the standard ranges for deficient men, right? Right, <laughs> right. But but I think what's interesting is that. Um, the two diets that were followed in this followed in this particular study were kind of a standard American diet. So basically, you know, garbage, garbage, exactly. And a ketogenic diet. Um, and the results, both, both groups saw, um, saw, uh, significant result uh, increases in their testosterone. Um, but the group that followed a a ketogenic diet saw even greater increases. That's shocking given that testosterone is made out of cholesterol. And if you eat enough fat, you can make hormones. Who would have thought? (laughs) Oh, and if you're stimulating your, uh, your cells to grow using red light, and cell membranes are made out of fat, 45% of which is saturated fat. It, it's shocking that people who eat fat and can metabolize it had better results. I, I can't imagine. Uh, that's pretty it, cool it, that you mix that in. It's, okay. it's, 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 it's sort of funny when you, when you take a step back and think about it, it all makes sense, right? It's yeah. very intuitive, but um, it just, it's, it's cool to actually showcase that in an actual you know, study. It, that it's super cool. Yeah. Um, can you talk about percentage of improvement in testosterone? Are we talking, you know, twenty percent, ten percent? Yeah, I mean, in so the results that we saw both in men and women. So with with women again, we studied progesterone to estrogen, yeah. and and men it was it was it was total versus free free testosterone. We're talking anywhere from 
percentage increases of you know twenty percent all the way up to 60, 60 and seventy percent increases. So that's pretty su- pretty substantial. Yeah, and I want to I want to the the major caveat is here is that our devices aren't aren't you know cleared for any sort of like you know hormone replacement type of type of therapy. These are early results, but the the this the, the they're so staggering. The, the results are so compelling. It's you know, it, we're excited but, just to do more it, of, of this. Here's the deal. The risk of shining red light on your body is pretty damn low, right? And it's not very expensive to get a testosterone test. So these are the sorts of things that are perfect for biohacking because you're saying, well, wait a minute. Could I see if this effect works for me? And if it does, great. And if it doesn't, then you tried something. Like, it, it's okay. It's not like you're saying... The studies show that if you just open yourself up with a pocket knife from abdomen to forehead, like, okay, the risk reward isn't going to be there. So this is the kind of thing where, uh, you know, definitely it's not cleared for this. But if a physician is listening to this and has a patient who's interested in stuff, you know what? Hey, let's order a lab test and see if it works. Mm -hmm. And you could do the same thing with a ketogenic diet. You do the same thing with meditation. You could do the same thing with not ejaculating a lot. All of those will probably move your testosterone levels and they might move them differently for you versus me. Right. So um, I I just I love the idea that we can self-experiment with affordable gear and just see what happens. And that's one of the cool things about light therapy is exactly that. It's it's not only is it supported by a lot of published science, but it is now nowadays it's it's really accessible, right? And pretty affordable for the most part. And like even not, I mean, a, a shameless plug for, a shameless plug for our own devices, but they even come with a sixty day trial. So I mean, theoretically, you could do. Uh, you know, uh, a testosterone experiment and send it back if it doesn't go. You got up. it. Right. You got it. So I mean, it's re- it's really lightweight stuff that uh, that can have some pretty profound uh, okay. benefits. I'm uh, I'm definitely intrigued at that one uh, for sure, especially because you don't have to put it in your pants. Another question though: These were on the abdominal cavity. Correct. Yeah. So like that device I, I mentioned that was involved in this particular study. Um, if you're the the way that we instructed the participants to use it was you know hang it from a door as it's kind of yeah. intended to do and it treats from about the top of your head to maybe you know mid thigh on most. Oh, people. okay. So it it was a, a bigger one. Yeah. Because I'm thinking I would want to actually get red light on my face while I'm raising my testosterone because then I'd have less wrinkles <laughs> and more testosterone and then it's like hey I'm looking good. I, I'm married. It doesn't really matter. <laughs> <laughs> well, that, you know what's interesting about that is like we have a fair number of like customers that purchase our devices for like a specific thing like testosterone or or hormone health or maybe reducing pain and inflammation. But they report back on all of these like ancillary benefits. Like all these people are commenting that uh, they think I'm on I'm I'm doing Botox injections, or oh, yeah. like I just feel better, or I'm my my mental alertness is that much faster. And so it's just really cool the the when you when you take a you know you take a pause and kind of you know look at at light therapy uh, from a holistic standpoint, it's beneficial in so many different categories, which I kind of speaks to the underlying concept that we mentioned earlier. It's like, it's, it's an important aspect of health, you know, just being aware of, of light and making sure it's not disrupting, uh, something, um, in your kind of your, your lifestyle, but also using it therapeutic, therapeutically too, can lead to a lot of, a lot of wide ranging benefits. I, I'm still wondering if there's going to be like juve underwear. Uh, yeah, that's uh, you know, to to be determined. You know, I think, uh, I, I think maybe maybe some of that, some of those ideas have some. I'm just up. trying to get you to like feel awkward. I, I, I think I pulled that off. Now, there's uh, there's so much interesting stuff going on around nitric oxide as well. 
where red light in some studies I've read stimulates nitric oxide. And for, for people listening, if you're like, why do I care about that? Um, nitric oxide increases blood flow throughout the body. In fact, some of the, the medications and things that increase erectile function uh, manipulate the nitric oxide system. So getting red light could potentially, in fact, I'm, I'm very certain of it, if it increases nitric oxide, that you're going to uh, to see it when you wake up in the morning if you're a guy. It's called a kickstand. <laughs> <laughs> but that, that very point, right, that increased you know, circulation, um, that, I, I think that speaks to the, the benefit of full body exposure, well, right? Yeah, Getting that like systemic, wound healing? Yeah. Oh my God, I got more blood into my wound so it could get nutrients in. <laughs> Who would have thought that I healed faster? <laughs> it's not that hard. Like The body actually makes sense. You just have to not believe false information and then it makes sense. Yeah, so. no doubt. Okay. Talk about the gut microbiome and light because we know, and, and I've been one of those people saying, you can see that mitochondria make photons and and read photons, and we know your gut bacteria makes a lot more light. I'm in it to people saying, what, it makes light? You've seen photoluminescent stuff in the ocean probably. There's a version of that going on in your gut, but not quite as bright. So we know light's doing something in there. Otherwise, Mother Nature wouldn't waste energy making light if it didn't do something. Mm -hmm. What have you seen using your technology and effects on the gut bacteria? This this is a, a really compelling area that I think you'll you'll find us like looking to study more and more is knowing that um, you know healthy gut microbiome is is like a is foundational for for overall health, um, but the the research here is like it's it's very early. Um, but I think what what really stands out is um, I think probably within the past six months there was a paper published by a group of researchers in Australia um, that studied. Um, um, broad broad applications of light therapy, so not not targeted treatments, but broad applications of light therapy, and they showed that across the board, consistent exposure to to red light actually led to a more healthy um, uh, gut microbiome in these in these um, in these participants. And what was what really stood out to me, um, um, looking at the conclusion uh, that these re researchers had, is that they proposed kind of a different mechanism altogether because red light really can't penetrate um, uh, as in, 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 into the gut. It really shouldn't. Near infrared light, maybe, but but red light shouldn't. So you wouldn't intuitively think that red light could actually lead to that type of that type of um, those types of, of benefits. But I think this speaks to kind of full body systemic exposure to these healthy wavelengths of light, seeing increased you know nitric oxide, increased circulation um, can lead to you know some really interesting you know health benefits as deep as the gut. That sounded like we don't really know, but it's probably doing something. <laughs> that, that, that would be the 10 second answer. Is, All right. Yeah. Uh, very it. early, but the results seem uh, seem pretty positive. And, it, and there are people who listen to the show who work in university labs, actually quite a lot of them. Uh, and I think everyone who's worked with bacterial cultures or fungal cultures knows that the light environment they're in sort of matters. Um, one of my companies, Homebiotic, uh, we make... Uh, uh, a spray that eats toxic molds and mildew and things like that. So you spray these soil bacteria around so the mold can't grow in your house and light matters. So if you spray it under the sink where it's dark, it lasts a lot longer. And if you spray it on a windowsill, it doesn't last as long because light breaks down bacteria. And if you're doing it in a Petri dish, you put it in the dark. One thing happens, you put it in the light. Another thing happens. So we know that there's some interactions here, but I, I wouldn't feel comfortable right now saying, oh, if you have you know, X amount of red light 
on the gut, it's going to increase the number of species the way a prebiotic might, but does it have an effect that we haven't studied yet? I think it probably does. All right, let's uh, let's talk about something that no one wants to talk about. <laughs> the big C word, cauliflower. Oh, no, I, <laughs> I mean cancer. So the reason no one wants to talk about cancer is that there's a lot of money being made in cancer right now. Uh, and you know, some of these treatments are hundred plus thousand dollars. So anytime someone says something about cancer, even if there's really clear data, for instance, eating burned meat causes cancer, uh, there's no one selling a burned meat reduction uh, drug. <laughs> so um, we have uh, we have issues uh, around that. So I understand you might not be able to to say some things you might want to say about cancer, but what do the studies show? about exposure to red and near-infrared light and yeah. cancer. And, and we're kind of joking, right? But I mean, to most people, you know, can, cancer can be a, a pretty serious topic. Oh, yeah. Especially from our, our, our perspective, it's kind of one of those hot-button, touchy, touchy subjects that it's at, at, at surface level, it, it's sensitive, right? But at the end of the day, like, most people want, like, a healthy, natural way to, like, fight cancer, right, across the board. Well, I mean, you know? in Superhuman, uh, my new book, by the way, you know, it's my shameless plug. If you haven't ordered this book, it's probably because you're a bad person. Anyway, um, <laughs> in Superhuman, I write about these things called the four killers. And if you and I just sit down, if we were average people, which means we weren't exposed to red light uh, and lots of <laughs> other things because we're both biohackers, but um, if we we're average people, what's going to kill us? Cardiovascular disease, cancer, diabetes, or Alzheimer's. That's the the vast majority of them, and if if that's if you take opiate stuff out, because a lot of people are dying from fentanyl and things like that. So we're gonna we're gonna ditch that in car accidents and things. Uh, but okay, cancer is a big deal, and what a lot of people don't know, your odds of dying from cancer are still substantial. But if you get cancer, the odds of not dying are fifty percent better than they used to be. In other words, we're actually making progress. Of course, it's incredibly painful progress with lots of chemicals and radiation, and you might not like it. Uh, but you can probably survive cancer more than you could. But I think the right anti-aging strategy would be do everything you can to reduce the likelihood of getting cancer and to increase immune function so your natural killer cells will kill cancer before it really gets started. So what do we know about red light therapy and natural killer cells and about basically reducing risk of cancer versus treating cancer? Yeah, and I think I think you hit on like the two aspects um, of cancer when it comes to um, using light therapy to both prevent it and really and really treat the sort of the, the downstream ramifications that come with, you know, treatments like chemo and radiation. And kind of starting with the latter, the the data is like overwhelmingly clear that if if especially with, you know, head and neck um uh uh cancer patients that there there's a lot of a lot of negative consequences that come with chemo and radi radi uh, chemo and radiation. Uh oral mucositis being one of the big ones, lymphedema, etc. And across the board, red, red and near infrared light is very healing to treat some of those like negative consequences that come with you know those traditional traditional treatments. But I think the data is like it's so so clear that like it, it in, in fact um, two oncology societies, medical societies, recently changed their guidelines and are now um, advising all oncologists um, or like it's it's within their core guidelines that light therapy should use uh, for both treatment and prevention. Of of cancer and and uh, with um, head and neck cancer uh, patients. So this is skin cancer, or even inside like glioblastoma stuff inside the brain. Yeah, yeah, no, no. The, 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 wow. Yeah, the latter, and to see, and and the reason that stands out is to see a society 
change their guidelines and now prevent now advise for not just the treatment but also the prevention is that's a really big deal like in in traditional you know health in a traditional healthcare setting so i think that's really cool and that, that actually is a nice transition to talk about you know prevention of cancer and i mentioned um one of the, the uh, leading researchers in the field, Dr. Praveen Arani, he's um, the the president of, of Walt. Um, some of his recent work is actually looking at the mechanism of like, how, how is this actually happening? And historically, there's there's been kind of this fear that red and near-infrared light, because of the stimulating nature of these wavelengths, may in, induce tumor growth. And actually what he's finding, and, more, and it's not just him, more and more researchers are finding this, that because of the, the ability of these wavelengths to stimulate uh, transforming growth factor beta, um, that actually you get the opposite response with tumor cells. So they, you actually get apoptosis and ato- autophagy with tumor cells. So it's really cool. It kind of speaks to kind of like you get the best of both worlds when it comes to red and near-infrared light. Your healthy s- cells respond very favorably, right, by producing more ATP energy, by functioning normal. And then those cells that aren't functioning normal, those dysfunctional ones, those cancer cells, mm-hmm. die. Right. So, it, so it's really it's really cool when you think of, when you think about some of this emerging you know research, especially when it comes to like the mechanism of action. Because when it comes to a touchy issue or subject like cancer, man, light therapy is is we're learning a lot of really profound things when it comes to that. Going back like five six years uh, before he was as well known as he is today, uh, Dominic D'Agostino mm. uh, came on the show, and. I've because of the anti-aging nonprofit stuff. I've I've had a chance to talk with other people, and if I was dealing with one of these head and neck cancers or any other cancer, I would pretty much be wow. I'm going on a ketogenic diet with low inflammatory toxins and the right proteins. Let's see if I can think of a diet like oh yeah, the bulletproof diet. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I would do that, and I would go into a hyperbaric chamber, and I would bring a red light device with me. Right. And so now all of a sudden you're getting this flood of oxygen. Oh, and I do some fasting as well. That's mm-hmm. pretty important. And if you were to do that every now and then when you didn't have cancer, is it going to lower your risk of getting cancer? Probably. But most of us don't have hyperbaric oxygen at home. Okay, you can skip that, right? So then fast sometimes and do ketosis sometimes, but not all the time because you won't like that either, right? And use some red light therapy. And are, are you measurably reducing your risk? You'll never know because you can't A/B test yourself. Mm-hmm. Oh, here's here's the version of me where I did where I did the opposite path, and oh, that version of me died. So since we don't have this you know multiverse time travel thing to compare notes, you just have to say, does it make sense that I'm reducing my risk? And if so, do I think it's meaningful? And do I get other benefits? Because you could spend all day every day reducing risk. Um, one thing I like about red light therapy is you can do it while you're doing other things. Right, so if it's shining on the back of you, you can watch Netflix if that's what you want to do. You can listen to an audiobook. You can be on the phone with somebody. So it's not like it's not like it's that big of a deal unless you're doing a video conference. And I have done those with red light therapy too, and people think I'm weird, but whatever. <laughs> I was gonna say turn off, just turn off the video. Right? I, I just Aspect leave it on. It's more fun. You're like, sorry guys, just don't look at the video. It's too bright. No, but speaking of stacking therapies, you, you hit it on the nose. In fact, that's one of my you know go to uh, protocols every morning. Is I've got our our big a Juvelite full body system, and I do uh, about six to seven minutes on the front and the back. But I'm standing on the on your the, the bulletproof uh, vibration oh, wow, plate. Nice. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> at, the, at the same time, so you know, I get some some uh, you know stimulation from you know with my lymphatic system, but also you know I'm I'm uh, proactively you know helping my cells function better. And I think it's interesting when you look at like kind of really. Um, especially like in our, a lot of our conversations with these photomedicine um, researchers who are brilliant people, like this can be 
really a complex, you know, topic to try to understand and like really peel back, like what's really going on? Why do you get, you know, stimulation here and, you know, what's happening with, you know, hormone production, et cetera. But when you like really start, you know, asking the, the why, well, why does, why does that happen? Why does that happen? At the end of the day, most of it kind of circles back to like your, the mitochondria in a healthy yeah. cell is functioning the right way. Right. It's, it, it, I mean, so much, it goes back to just healthy mitochondrial function and by following, you know, ketogenic diets, the bulletproof diet, et cetera, you're reducing that stress and allowing your cells or giving them more opportunity to function, you know, in the, yeah, in the to, right to do what they're supposed to do when mm-hmm. they get all the stuff they need. Right. Um, it's funny. We talked about red light therapy and the microbiome. A new study came out just in the last few months around whole body vibration. And it's funny because like, I've been doing this for a long time. Bulletproof, I think, has had the Bulletproof vibe for eight years. And a study came out a couple of years ago saying, uh, it was from a, a, I'm forgetting which one, like British Medical Journal or some sort of a, a big a big journal saying, wow, this stuff really is effective uh, like exercise. But very recently one came out that said that whole body vibration had a beneficial effect on the gut microbiome. Hmm. So there you are using red light and, and we believe based on what our earlier conversation, hmm. it's probably doing something beneficial to gut bacteria and you're vibrating. So all of a sudden, who would have thought maybe the mechanism of action there is that it changed your gut bacteria in a positive way that then affected your biology. It's kind of cool. We don't know, but it's there's something going on there that's important. Something else that... Uh, I'm really interested in that you may have more knowledge about is unusual water chemistry. So I, I funded a couple of years ago, actually it was at the, the Bulletproof, the biohacking conference. Now it's going to its seventh year. Um, we had Gerald Pollack come in and we actually got donations. And then I, I paid the rest of it for research on uh, exclusions on water. And this is for healthy mitochondria, for healthy cells. You need to be able to modify water. The first thing mitochondria do is they change bulk water into exclusion zone water, which allows ATP to form. And it looks like light has an effect on that. And the research that um, Bulletproof funded was around what do droplets of fat suspended in water do? It turns out the type of fat really makes a difference. Newsflash, saturated fat works better. <laughs> uh, anyway, what do we know about red light, near-infrared light, and the formation of water on cell membranes? Yeah, th- this is a really interesting topic, and I think probably over the next few years, we'll really begin to learn a lot more. In fact, there's a researcher, and his name is completely escaping me, that recently published a paper literally within the past, gosh, three or four months, something like that, that um, that suggests, you know, the core mechanism of action when it comes to red and light, red and near infrared light therapy may not necessarily be stimulating cytochrome C oxidase. I, I, I don't know. I don't know if there's like general consensus around that, but instead actually changing the viscosity of, of metabolic water, the water inside your mitochondria, which is different than kind of, you know, water as we, as we think. And by, by changing the viscosity, right, making it thinner, so to speak, you're actually able to, um, Electrons are actually able to pass, you know, um, across the electron transport chain a lot, a lot faster, a lot easier. And so, in essence, your mitochondria are becoming like well-oiled machines mm-hmm. um, simply by changing the viscosity of, of water. And so, he he suggested in this paper, and and I, in my opinion, called out some some really interesting, compelling findings. But at the end of the day, whether you're stimulating cytochrome C oxidase, which is kind of like a traffic control cop, right, for, mm-hmm. you know, me- metabolic, you know, for, function. For electrons in your cells. Yeah. Or you're changing, you know, the metabolic water in and of itself. At the end of the day, you're, you're, you're basically allowing your mitochondria, giving your mitochondria the ability to, 
to function more efficiently, which leads to so many other, so it's so foundational, right? And leads to so many other, you know, health benefits that we, you know, that we that we discussed. It, it's funny. It, it reminds me of uh, a woman named Candace Pert who discovered the opiate receptor, uh, going going back a while. And I'm I'm sad I didn't get to interview her before she passed, but she in her autobiography she sort of writes about her whole story, and she's trying to as her career progressed she became way more open to meditation and things like that uh, versus everything's mechanistic, mm-hmm. and she describes meeting with a group of, of shamans and describing opiate receptors. And they looked at each other, said something in Spanish or whatever. And the translators, said, you know, she's, what did they say? And they said, Oh, um, they're talking to each other saying, this lady thinks that all those opiate receptors actually exist because from their perspective, like, well, of course it works, but whether you want to tell yourself a story that it's because of these receptors or some other story, like it doesn't matter because it works. So you know, we know in this case, an opiate based plant medicine does these specific things. You put it in the system, it comes out, it's a black box. You tell yourself a story about the black box in the middle of the system, you don't really know. So I'm going to say that our story is much more likely to be true, but it's still a black box because we can't watch one electron move through the system yet. And when we can, then it's no longer black box. Till then, if you can reliably say, I'm going to do these things and these things come out and we think it's why, I'm just okay with that because I don't want to wait 180 years to figure out, oh, now we know for sure what's in the black box, so it's okay to use it. And that's the difference between biohacking and this sort of rigid, slow moving. Well, yeah, we know that might save your life, but we're not really sure, so you can't use it. And you're like, screw you, like that's not okay. So (laughs) that's why you gotta do things that are likely to be beneficial because we know what happens if you do the standard American diet. You pretty much spend the last 20 years of your life suffering and then you die poor. It's like, I don't wanna do that anymore. Right. No, I, I think that's that's a super interesting topic. I mean, I, I personally, I tend to lean towards more. I tend to be more mechanistic in in, in general, right? Like, why is something working, right? I want to I want to understand it, and um, I'm always amazed at people that just like like the shamans, as as yeah, as you pointed out, that just yeah, of course it works. Like we know it works. Why do you need to understand the blo- what's inside the black box? You know what yeah. I mean? Um, and it's but, good to be curious about yeah. the black box, and and I'm I'm the biggest fan of <laughs> cracking that thing open. But in the meantime, I'll use it. Right is what I'm saying here. Like around the gut microbiome. Yeah, especially when there's hardly any downside. I mean, it's hard to find yeah. any downside to using something, but intuitively it kind of, it kind of makes sense. But yeah. It, it, and and I, I think that that is, is one more point that kind of serves as this example that if we can, if we can help induce healthy mitochondrial function, regardless of how it works or what's inside the black box, it's apparent that that really drives a lot of like really positive health benefits across the board. So end of the day, whether the red light is affecting cytochrome C oxidase, or it's a nitric oxide thing, so there's more oxygen availability, uh, or it's changing the viscosity of water. It might be one of the three, it might be all three, and one of them may have a bigger effect. I'm curious, but in the meantime, I'll use it while we figure it out. I I feel so good about that. Uh, I wanna ask you some rapid fire questions as we're coming up on the end of the show, stuff that I know that, that I've seen on social media and people are saying, Dave, what do you think about this? What do you think about that? I want to know what you think about this. So red versus near infrared light pros, cons. I'll try to be rapid fire here. So, um, I don't know if there's like a lot of pros or cons 
or really cons to either one of them per se. Uh, they work very similarly. Um, they have the kind of generally speaking the same mechanisms of action. But the unique thing about near infrared light is it does penetrate deeper within our body. Um, so whereas the red light is primarily absorbed by the dermis and epidermis in, in our in our skin, near infrared light has the unique ability to penetrate deeper, even into bone, which we talked about earlier. Which is why uh, those types of wavelengths are studied uh, when it comes to you know bone bone formation or bone health. So those that's the the primary difference between the two. Uh, what about the best ways to use photobiomodulation or light therapy? Uh, I, I don't want to sound vague. It kind of depends on what you're using it for. But if it, if you're just looking to like proactively have better health, um, I think yeah, full you know full body or, or or any any sort of device that will allow you to treat a large area of your body is is ideal. And you know personally speaking, like my routine is as I mentioned earlier is I stand in front of a, a full body you know Juve device on the the vibe plate for you know seven or eight minutes on on the front side of my body turn around do the same thing on the back side of my body and at the same time i'm you know doing doing breath work and listening to a podcast so the more in my opinion the more therapies you can kind of stack uh you know in that in that routine is is uh you know you'll get more bang for your buck you mean you you've been to my house in victoria at bulletproof labs alpha and yeah, there's a bulletproof vibe standing there and mm-hmm. I've got, you know, the juve light on one side, I've got a sunlight <laughs> panel on the other side because it's Canada and it's dark in winter. Mm-hmm. And the bottom line is, well, hold on, you're getting your exercise because you're vibrating and you're getting your light therapy. So the ROI on that time is pretty strong. And if you, if you didn't have the lights and you did it, you'd still have a good return. You just got more return in the same minutes of, of beneficial things. And sometimes that's all the movement I'm really going to get in a day. And like, that's all right. Yep. Okay. Yep. One other sub question that often comes up on that, on that note is uh, morning, evening, when's the best time to use this? And yeah. I, I'd say whenever, generally speaking, whenever you can fit it into your schedule is probably I- ideal. And if you're using, you know, a high quality device, you know, all you really need is about 10 minutes. That's most people have, have that amount of time. Um, but if you really want to kind of get into like biohacking, um, and really try to optimize the type of therapy. I think about the uh, timing it with the morning sunrise and, and sunset, really, and trying to align this type of therapy with your natural circadian biology. So whether you use it in the morning or the evening, those are probably the the ideal times. Yeah, sunset and sunrise is when we have the most red. But I don't know if you have any, any experience on shining the juve, you know, in uh, on the face right before bed. Have you seen any effect on that? Uh, you know, n- anecdotally, you know, Dr. Michael Hamlin, who's who's a, another highly regarded, you know, photomedicine researcher. That's one of his best biohacks for sleeping is not using red light, but actually near infrared light on his forehead at night. Oh, near infrared, I could see that. Yeah, because it's get in, the, invisible to the, yeah, the naked eye. Yeah, and you'd get the blood flow in the brain for sleep. I could totally buy that. You got it. Okay. Yeah. Um, how about this uh, light therapy photobiomodulation versus infrared saunas? I, a lot of people seem to confuse the two. What are the differences? I, I think uh, the short answer is they're both good, but they're different therapies. And uh, the best analogy is is kind of like comparison or comparing a, a marathon to you know a kettlebell workout. You know, both both can be good. Uh, they're you're just going to get a different, there's a, a different physiological response that's happening. And um, to go a little bit deeper on that, most of our discussion has, has been centered around red and near infrared light. Um, the reality is that the infrared spectrum near, mid and far is actually really broad, um, ranges anywhere from, you know, around 800 nanometers to 20,000 nanometers. So it's actually really, really uh, quite broad and mid and far infrared wavelengths actually induce heat. And so that's why 
most you know saunas, most infrared saunas are going to primarily use mid and far infrared because they're great at generating heat. And so that that can be good generating heat stress. I mean, there's there's plenty of uh, of data that that showcases that it's uh, there's a number of uh, health benefits that come from from uh, you know sauna based therapy. But photobiomodulation using red and near infrared light, it's just it's it's different. You get a different you know biological uh, response. So both are good, but just different. Uh, I I would totally agree with that. What about eye protection? I, I full disclosure, I don't put anything over my eyes because I feel like my eyes would like to have cytochrome C and like I, I don't I don't know that there's harm from it. If I was using high powered infrared lasers or something, but in terms of LEDs, I don't worry. Uh, but what's the best practice there? Yeah, and I, I think it kind of depends on what device you're using. So a, a, a legit high quality device is gonna is gonna have. Um, there, at some point, there's going to be IEC testing done on, on photobiological safety testing, which is, you know, is this this is PBM device safe to to use with your with your eyes? So like ours, like our devices specifically, they've gone through those 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 tests and you know check check the box. It's it's actually safe to use without eyewear. But the the deeper question is, is it good for your eyes? And our our position is yes, it is. Um, it may be bright for people that are new to the therapy, and you can certainly wear, you know. Um, you know, some, um, you know, some, some true dark glasses or some sort of like, you know, eyewear, but well, the true dark glasses wouldn't even work for that I guess because they're, they're going to allow all of the red light through. Cause that's what they're meant to do. <laughs> so don't even worry about that. I mean, they have the little ones for like sun tanning, those dumb little caps. Yeah. Um, and plus you don't want wrinkles around your eyes that like, like, so the smaller, the coverage of your eyes. So I, I've not ever felt the need to use this. I do close my eyes when I'm in front of it, mm-hmm. which seems like a good idea, but I do that as well. Yeah. But, and we ha- we've got a great article on our site that like goes mm-hmm. deep on the science of of um of for the for the health benefits that, uh, res- with respect to your eyes when it comes to um, red and near infrared light therapy. And there's plenty of data that suggests these wavelengths of light are very healthy for your eyes, not just for proactive health when it comes to like maybe increasing vision, but also reducing you know diseases like macular degeneration. So that's our general stance. Is actually you know if you if you don't mind the brightness of the light like why, why wear eyewear? What about LED flicker? This is an interesting topic. Um, and I think generally speaking, there's probably a, a fair amount of misinformation around like LED flicker and what it, what it means and what it does um, in terms of, you know, the, the health consequences. And I think most of the data that, that you see, uh, the science that you see that's with respect to the dangers of LED flicker is really centered around different wavelengths of light that are delivered from you know, inefficient LEDs, the, the the same ones that you can find in like a Lowe's or a Home Depot that deliver bright light that that uh, that noticeably flickers. That that's very different than something like a light therapy device that is either intentionally or not intentionally fluctuating the wavelengths. And what I mean by that is there's a there's a fair amount of research now that suggests when it comes to light therapy or PBM that um, flick, flicker or fluctuation of those wavelengths can actually be very beneficial and actually lead to even better results. And so I think um, the big kind of moral of the story is that if you're intentionally trying to deliver fluctuation or flicker with, with wavelengths of light for therapeutic reasons, that can be good. If it's unintentional, um, uh, un- unmitigated you know, LED flicker, that may not be so good. It, we definitely know there's pretty compelling research around 40 hertz flickering where they're seeing a reduction in amyloid plaques for Alzheimer's just from any color of light flickering 40 times a second. That's really interesting. 
but I am very skeptical about the ongoing and untested safety of spending all day every day in in an environment where the lights above your head are turning on and off 120 times a second. Like it, it's not a good thing, as far as I can tell. Well, that, that's I, I think that you hit the nail on the head. It's that chronic overexposure to. Yeah to inefficient LED, I say inefficient, because generally speaking, most LEDs are pretty efficient, but like, you know, kind of subpar quality, non-medical grade LEDs and overexposure to those types of LEDs that are delivering, you know, artificial kind of white light all day. Yeah, probably not a great idea. In fact, there's a story behind that. Dr. John Ott, who's kind of considered oh, yeah. one, of, one of the... one of the Original light hacker guys. Yeah, yeah, yeah totally. He, in fact, his, uh, his his book was one of the first ones I, I read when I first started getting into this. But it's his work in time-lapse photography that got, it got him into to light. And he studied through time-lapse photography kids that were exposed to this type of lighting in schools. And, and you, you through, through that early work, and this is when time-lapse photography was brand new, he, he showcased like visible, like fatigue-like symptoms with these, you know, these kids that were in a classroom all day with that type of, that type of lighting. So I think that, but that's very different than like this kind of this um, unsupported fear of like, all LEDs are bad and they flicker all the time. Well, that, that's not really the case. You know what I mean? You have to kind of understand what you're, you know, what you're, what you're, what you're doing and yeah. kind of that chronic exposure to like bright white LEDs. Yeah, probably not great, but that doesn't mean that all LEDs are bad per se. I would, I would go so far as to say that given the current state of LED technology, indoor illumination with LEDs is a really bad idea if you want to live a long time. <laughs> that said, LEDs can be used therapeutically in a beneficial way, mm-hmm. right? And magically, I don't know anyone who's sensitive to red light. It's, it seems like it's really good for you, yeah. right? So you can take people who just tweak with most light spectrums and you can put red glasses on them or you put them in a room with a juve and no other lights on. Like, ah, oh, yeah. like I feel good. So I look at red as sort of the safe color for light mm-hmm. and, and there's something to be said there. And maybe the, the, just to kind of wrap that up, the, the, the parallel example is it would be, you know, someone learning that's learning a little bit more about like how, how fats can be used for, for health. And, they, there you, go. you know, they may walk into that conversation thing. Well, all fats are bad. Well, no, not really. If you actually learn about, you know, the different kinds of fats and no, actually some fats are really beneficial. And yeah. And, and so that's kind of the same concept when it comes to light is like understand really what, good explanation. Yeah. Understand what colors you're dealing with and, um, and your exposure, you know, and mm-hmm. whether you're, you're overexposed to those types of, those types of colors. And yeah, so there's, there's, there's more to the story. And I think just to kind of, a you know, having that, that kind of general broad understanding is, is helpful to kind of answer that. That flicker, the notorious flicker question. <laughs> yeah, it's it, it's a it's a tough one because not all LEDs are bad, but having an LED above your desk at your office probably is. And like, how how do you explain that nuance in a single sentence? Exactly. Yeah. All right, I've got one final question for you that might not be a uh, a rapid fire question, and this has to do with Superhuman, my new anti aging book. And I've been asking people over the last hundred or so episodes, how long are you going to live? What, what's your number? I don't know if I've ever actually been asked that question. Probably not. I'm going to say, well, this is going to pale in comparison to your answer, but I, I would I would say I'm, I'm going to stick with 100. Only 100? Only 100. Even with all of your light therapy exposure? <laughs> Maybe I'm selling myself short, but <laughs> I'll, st- I'll stick with... I'm into, I'm into the three digits. Okay. How old are you now? I'm 38. 38. Okay. So you think over the next 62 years of research and development that we're only going to be able to get you to 100 
Uh, maybe I'm selling myself. Go back 62 years. <laughs> what was the world like 62 years ago? A lot different. World War Two. Yeah. Okay. That's actually look at the interesting cars. thing to think about. Yeah. Look at look at what we could do medically. Look at antibiotics. We're just coming out. Well, what what's your number, Dave? 180. 180. Okay. <laughs> so so I, I'm like, and you go back 100 years. That's World War One. We're fighting it with horses. Well, that's that many more juve devices you can buy well, over that I, period of time. I, so I, I'm counting on my juve <laughs> underwear by then, man. Exactly. Now, I, but but seriously, like, like yeah. you look at these timescales. I, I think we're all selling ourselves short right now because so much cool stuff, including stuff you're working on. That, like it's changing the world. That's actually really interesting. I never thought about it in that light. That sixty some years ago, we that it, World War Two, <laughs> yeah. and so the the changes that that you know likely will happen with that then that amount of time yeah maybe maybe I should uh, increase that number but they didn't have machine learning <laughs> they didn't have the internet they didn't have the ability that you and I have to look at PubMed like when I it's I'm only I'm 46 so I'm just a little bit older than you but did you ever have to use a microfish no Do I don't you know think what that so. is no ah there we go <laughs> World War Two now <laughs> you see why 180 isn't crazy oh, you kidding anyway. me 140 140 there we go we'll split all right yeah. upgraded <laughs> all right there we go scott it's always a pleasure to have you on the show i totally appreciate it uh, you're doing really good work with you i love that you're doing clinical trials super cool stuff uh your website j-o-o-v-v.com you got it yeah two o's two v's it's uh short for rejuvenate so ch- check us out we've got a whole host of educational articles there too if you want to get into the into the science well, I, I appreciate it. Keep on pushing on that uh, on that red light, the, the near-infrared light, and uh, I will keep using it. Awesome. Thanks for having me, Dave. Really appreciate it. The Human Upgrade, formerly Bulletproof Radio, was created and is hosted by Dave Asprey. The information contained in this podcast is provided for informational purposes only and is not intended for the purposes of diagnosing, treating, curing, or preventing any disease. Before using any products referenced on the podcast, consult with your healthcare provider, carefully read all labels, and heed all directions and cautions that accompany the products. Information found or received through the podcast should not be used in place of a consultation or advice from a healthcare provider. If you suspect you have a medical problem or should you have any healthcare questions, please promptly call or see your healthcare provider. This podcast, including Dave Asprey and the producers, disclaim responsibility for any possible adverse effects from the use of information contained herein. Opinions of guests are their own, and this podcast does not endorse or accept responsibility for statements made by guests. This podcast does not make any representations or warranties about guest qualifications or credibility. This podcast may contain paid endorsements and advertisements for products or services. Individuals on this podcast may have a direct or indirect financial interest in products or services referred to herein. This podcast is owned by Bulletproof Media.